Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruden, back with a new episode, and I'm really excited to have uh, a seasoned and experienced marketer here in Portland on uh, Abe Cohen, who's the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer for KPA. Uh, welcome, Abe. Thank you. Glad to be here, Dan. So, so Abe, yeah, I would love to learn a little bit more about KPA and your role as you know the chief marketing officer there. Sure. Yeah. So I ended up um, you know getting a recruiting call um, for uh, from KPA, and you know I took the call, which is something I always recommend to people to do. Uh, it's always good to learn about opportunities out there, network, etc. And you know it it sort of was a perfect fit for me. You know I have learned over the years that I I prefer and I most enjoy working for growth companies, smaller mid sized companies. Uh, PE backed is just a good fit for me. So they came calling very interesting company, environmental health and safety uh, software and services. The business started 30 years ago as a consulting company and still have over 100 consultants in environmental health and safety all over the country. Uh, These are sort of super nerds on the uh, health and safety front, (laughs) certified safety professionals. Some of them came from OSHA and even regulatory bodies. And so, you know, when I was looking at a move for myself, I love having a competitive differentiator and that's a big one. Uh, And then in the last, um, you know, call it 10 years, really mostly in the last few years, um, we've been looking at a shift towards SaaS software, not moving away from consulting. That's still a differentiator. But now we sell um, SaaS software, mostly through acquisition, some organic software development as well. So it's the software that safety professionals use to essentially monitor their program, do their compliance reporting, do uh, audits and inspections, and just keep keep employees safe, keep employees trained. And so so, uh, some examples of that, uh, because I know it's like a a big industry that people that might not be in that space um, don't realize how big it is. And then the, you know, the, the, I guess, service providers that are around that to help these companies. So yeah, I would love to learn like some, you know, specific companies that use and what for. Yeah. And so we're, we're large in the automotive industry. Um, and more and more we're expanding into, you know, kind of the way I describe it to my family is like any industry where someone can get hurt. Right. So construction (laughs) is like an obvious one, uh, where if you're out on a job site and there's a bunch of heavy machinery or people on lifts and ladders that can fall and, and, you know, fall safety is actually a huge deal. Like it, 
it doesn't logically make sense to me. I would think that like, wow, if you're, you know, a professional and you're used to being up high, you would be super safe, but it's amazing how many companies are not. And there are, mm. you know, hundreds of thousands of injuries and even, you know, deaths a year from people falling uh, on job sites. So we essentially service, you know, it, construction was one example. There's also the energy sector um, at times can be pretty unsafe manufacturing, all types of manufacturing clients. And what we do is help. Usually there's a safety professional, like an EHS manager or director type persona will help that person to better manage their program. And what's what's also cool and, and something I, you know, again, back to loving growth marketing, I was interested in this role because it's a nascent industry in a lot of ways. So yes, people have cared about safety and have had to be compliant with OSHA and the EPA and all these regulatory bodies, but it is amazing how 50% of the market is doing it with, you know, paper. <laughs> or yeah. With, I mean, know, I, I, would, I would think that. Yeah. yeah. So. It's because some of it's kind of an old, old school yeah. type mentality, maybe. Yeah. I'm generalizing. Sorry if yeah. I am. But um, well, as far as so this is interesting because I've talked to some folks that have tr- transitioned from uh running a consulting company to getting out of that to just be a like a SaaS business yeah. and it's interesting that you decided or the company has decided to continue both and it is a, a maybe competitive advantage yeah. and so that might be something to do with the just the industry so you as the marketer the cmo yeah. i i assume you oversee both those kinds of i don't know if you would describe them as lines of business but the software and the consulting which you're kind of well positioned to do with your background at ibm yeah. and, and and such right yeah, and I in Kaufman Hall, the the company that bought the startup Axiom I mentioned earlier, that was also a company that had management consulting that consulted with C level folks on mergers and acquisitions and like you know board level consulting mm-hmm. combined with software as well. So so via IBM and Kaufman Hall, that was also a reason I was a good fit for KPAs. I definitely understand both sides. And then yeah, I mean the marketing, <clears throat> it's really more value-based pain point marketing anyway. So we, yeah. we tend to, in the verticals, we're vertically organized by industry and we tend to market sort of at the highest level, all of it. So we're, we're here to help you, you know, stay safe and you as a persona, as an EHS manager, do your job better. Uh, if we're marketing to a C-level person, it's all about the kind of risk management, the, the ROI mm. of safety, not getting fined, not having workers' comp issues, all those things that CEOs care about. But we tend to market it together because um, a lot of our clients and, and frankly, obviously bigger deals, which is a good thing for a business. But a lot of our clients yeah. will will actually purchase software, online training and then even some you know annual or quarterly consultant visits to help them be compliant. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's that's cool. So it's the was the company started in Portland? No. So good question. No, the company is based out of the Boulder, Colorado area in a town oh, called Lafayette. Cool. Super beautiful Uh up there, by the way. Um, But then Portland became a satellite office due to two separate acquisitions. One was called Succeed, which was like a Lake Oswego company. And then the other one was Complete, which is based kind of downtown near Pioneer Square. So they ended up doing, you know, the executive search for marketing in Portland due to some level of critical mass. So there's about 40 people in Portland area. There's about 100 out in Colorado and then. The other, you know, 150 plus are kind of all over the country. 
Yeah, and this is interesting that we can get into obviously the remote working. <laughs> you were doing it long before you know this pandemic hit. Um, I, I, I'm really interested just from a B2B marketing perspective, some things you can share. You've been doing this for a while for different companies. How's it evolved and what's, you know, I know I don't want to generalize too much because every industry is specific and mm -hmm. who you target. Uh, what are some things you can share that's evolved and some things you're doing now that you're finding really valuable or recommend for other yeah, sure. marketers? Um, I mean, I'm actually going to start by not answering your question and say, what has <laughs> not evolved? And I would say, you know, the core marketing principles that you would learn in, you know, an MBA program or undergrad program or just doing, you know, marketing profs type education, whatever you're doing to get educated mm -hmm. as a marketer. Um, and obviously your exact audience knows this, but for, for more junior people, I always say this is that the core fundamentals have not changed. <laughs> so like, you know, knowing how to do segmentation, knowing how to do right. messaging, to do research, to understand what your competitors are doing. Um, positioning that stuff never changes. I don't care what company you are. I, I do think yeah. what has changed, and this is a kind of an obvious statement, but in the last five years in particular, you could say 10 years, I think the MarTech stack has gone from sort of exploding in so many, you know, all these different technologies that you could deploy. To me, at least, I think it's kind of gone from the hype curve of like, you know, marketers thinking they need to buy stuff and not really know how mm -hmm. it all fits together. I think it's matured to where the technology is. There's so much ta tangible value that CMOs mm -hmm. can get uh, in the MarTech stack and really use it to drive actionable results. Like that's huge. No question. Mm -hmm. um, and it's tools for execution. So it's, you know, for sure it's the execution tools, whether that's you know, better automation systems that are now, you know, pretty much fully mature, I would argue with the Marketos and HubSpots, et cetera, of the world, but also just the ancillary tools, Zoom info, you know, right. That's huge for just understanding and, and building out your audience, ABM platforms, retargeting platforms, the SEO tools we have, like, and we're not even a large, you know, we're a pretty small marketing team here, yeah. but, um, we use, I don't know, like 10 to 15 different like little web add-on tools for pop-ups and SEO optimization and all these things. Chatbots chat are obviously big. So I think the automation piece is huge. Just as important and related is reporting. I mean, CMOs have never had better access to how things are going than they do today. And so mm. you know, we happen to be a Salesforce CRM, you know, they're pretty pervasive, but you know, some companies use other things for, for the CRM, you know, our integration between HubSpot and Salesforce is so seamless. We've got dashboards built out for almost anything you could possibly want to know about, mm -hmm. you know, impact of marketing to revenue. Obviously that's important. If you want to get more budget and get more people, you have to right. prove usually to your boss, the CEO, um, or the board that it's making a huge impact. So I'd say attribution reporting and then just helping marketers be smarter, you know, campaign level granular reporting on conversion rates throughout the funnel. It's just never been easier. And I remember, yeah, yeah 10 years ago, for sure, 20 years ago, without question, it was like, oh, it was, took an act of God to get that information and you're playing <laughs> with spreadsheets and trying to make sense of stuff. And, and sometimes it was not even right once you figured it out. So. Yeah. And it's, and it's like I said, it's never been easier, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of folks struggle with, it's really overwhelming yeah. too, because you, we all know the people who just 
go on a buying spree and have no idea yeah. <laughs> really how to take full advantage or the storytelling part of it to your leadership team. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. if you're the expert in your team on the on the on these tools you're using, yeah. uh, your colleagues in the in the leadership suite might be like, okay, Abe, like, so that's, that's important. I don't think things you can share to your fellow, you know, executives that might help on that side of thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's, you know, yeah, hundred percent accurate. And, and I would say it's, it's, I'm smiling because this happened this week where, you know, I'm coaching up some people on my team, um, you know, and we have a board meeting coming up and for the board meeting, you know, the marketers tend to want to show everything. And so like these, you know, I had the team prep some slides. The slides are so detailed and covering thing like that's a multi attribution reporting is on a couple slides. And and I had to just say, look, the CEO and kind of finance bent, you know, Harvard business school people on the board, they don't a they don't know what this means they probably don't <laughs> care. <laughs> like the things they yeah. care about are super simple. They care about booking trajectory, share growth, and they care about, you know, retention and customer sat because you combine those two things, you have a really healthy business. And then a private mm -hmm. equity company can make a lot of money when they sell it for a healthy margin. So mm -hmm. if you boil it down, you know, I am a big, big believer in less is more from a slideware perspective yes include the data and the best data points you can use to tell the story but it's more about you know keep it high level boil it down and that's completely different than when we do sort of a you know monthly uh, marketing operations review or a qbr even with the sales team then we'll go into yeah. some, some pretty granular detail but that that skill of positioning and knowing how to talk to ceos and cfos and boards is, you know, as many of your listeners will know, is just a whole different uh, skill. <laughs> and it's it totally is. And, and even for like, I know when I was early in my career, you would over when I, when I had an opportunity to talk to like the CEO yeah. or whatever and present stuff, <laughs> you do want to go in this mode of just, I'm going to cram all this detail together. Yeah. And they're just kind of like, no. So it's kind of counterintuitive. It and totally I think it's really is. good and good and good advice. And well, on the talent piece, um, I'm interested just to hear what's going on finding really good marketing talent and you know, we'll get into portland too yeah. so it doesn't have to be specific to portland but uh, as far as you know b2b and and younger folks mm -hmm. uh, maybe earlier in their career what kind of things are you looking for and what kind of things are you finding for uh these younger people and the skills they have yeah i mean and uh, you know there's <clears throat> I always hire for talent and that sounds a little bit like a cliche, but, um, you know, I definitely find that people that are, are sharp, which oftentimes can be measured in, you know, what did they, if they're right out of college and I've actually been trying to help a couple of people right out of college find jobs lately. So that's top of my mind, but it's, did they have a really good GPA and did they not only, you know, show the book smarts, but did they play a sport? You know, and I, I love it when people that were in athletics, generally competitive, want to exceed. Did they have other extracurriculars? Do they volunteer? Like, do are they involved in the community? So you're looking for those people that really exhibit the, the sort of the MIPS, as one of my old managers said. Um, uh, and then, you know, there are, you know, some companies you think do some testing. We do testing and things like the CCAT. That's just one example. But there's 
kind of cognitive. What's a CCAT? It's a cognitive sort of test that, you know, you're essentially getting a score on your mathematical, your verbal, and your spatial reasoning. And so we we do both a CCAT and then a couple other more like um, behavioral job fit type um, HR surveys. They're not a lot, but once a a candidate gets into call it like second level of interviews, we do those. And I, I think you can learn a lot about just the person that you're you're considering from doing that type of um, <clears throat> survey or testing. Excuse me. <clears throat> Talk about some of the uh, kind of behavioral stuff, and um, I don't know too much about those different things. I know other companies use them. So, yeah. general, like some of the things you find and you get out of that, you you find helpful. Well, it, how they work with other people. It's also how people are motivated, and so you know, there's there's lots of dip. this this particular behavioral study. I would say is somewhat analogous to DISC, which a lot of companies have used. So mm-hmm. You just get a sense of, you know, are people um, how much do they talk first versus listen first, or you know how um, how much does it matter to them to have you know, everyone bought in and kumbaya from a team experience, a a team environment perspective. Like it's a lot of sort of the softer things of how they interact with colleagues is what you get out of that. And then, you know, based on if you know your own existing team and hopefully have done some similar exercises with your existing team, you can, it's never perfect, but you can get a decent read of not just do they have the chops to do the job, but how are they going to fit in and work well uh, with the rest of the Mm -hmm. team? And as you know, I mean, marketing is just you're a hub. So you not only do you have to work with four or five, 10 other people in the marketing organization, you've got to be able to get a good cross-functional collaboration from sales and from product and from CS and you name it. So that, that piece yeah. is, is super important. And then I'd say on the, you know, on the tangible talent, like the, the more skill side of, of talent, not just the, the smarts and the team fit. I kind of go back to what I was saying earlier, like, I believe it's the basics of like, do they understand the marketing motion? Do they understand segmentation, messaging, the strategy first for me is really important. Like, do they get what we're trying to achieve Mm. as a marketing organization, the business side of things? Um, I personally have a, especially on smaller teams, I have a, uh, a bias towards people that like to write you know, that are not okay. afraid to, to create content because in, <clears throat> in B2B marketing content is king. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Content marketing was, was all the buzz, you know, for many years for a reason. It's like the, the thought leadership content, the assets, the things that are going to hook people into a conversation are absolutely critical. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole podcast about the content and how mm-hmm. that's evolved and people's different opinions. I mean, I, some people don't agree with me, but I, I, do feel like every company is kind of a media company a little mm-hmm. bit and uh some people can argue either way but i i mean the reality of it especially with uh maybe individuals as executives or, or things that's becoming really important um as far as the talent getting back to the talent i don't know if you've hired anybody these past 12 months but it sounds like you already had you have offices here but kind of a remote work flexible culture anyways you can correct me if i'm wrong what if you are hiring people now or looking to hire, has that been bubbling up more of like the first thing people ask, like what's the flexible work options or it's definitely becoming that way. And so we, um, we have, so when I joined two years ago, it was a little bit more of an office centric culture. So both the port, especially in Portland and out in the Boulder area in Lafayette, where, you know, most employees were in at least four days a week. 
And so it was okay. really kind of your traditional office culture. COVID and the pandemic has, has really changed everything, right? And so we've been remote since it hit last into last March. Um, we're just now opening up our offices for, and it's more of a voluntary type of a model uh, starting in June. And then okay. we have an exec team meeting next week to really, we've got done lots of surveys for employees to get their gauge. We're doing lots of benchmarking with other, what other companies are doing and we'll kind of make a decision on the long term. But to your point on recruiting, 100%. I mean, they see, you know, the people looking for jobs and especially the top talent, you know, they're not dumb. They're looking around. They know that flexibility, if that's something they really want, that work from home type flexibility, that's what a lot of really large and, and mid-sized and small companies are doing. And so if you don't have that as an option, you're just not going to get the talent. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, uh, I, we're, we've we've all talked to it, about it to death, probably about what it's going to look like, and but no one really knows. Everybody I talk to is like you said, yeah. we're still coming up with a plan, and I think that's really going to be the, the what it comes down to is if you want to get the best talent, you're just going to have to, yeah, <laughs> have these flexibility. I mean, everyone has a different paradigm, and you know where do they? What's their background? How? What types of jobs have you personally had? And so I'm I'm an interesting yeah. case because I I worked remotely already in my career for over eight years when I when I came back from Boston to Portland and was working for IBM. So my perspective is sort of I've almost become more old school where I remember burning out from being working from home from that long of a period of time. Yes, I was productive, but it had a much harder time shutting it off (laughs) uh, versus that Mm. funny, like even a 10 minute commute, how you can transition from like work to personal life like and um, and also just I think the engagement side, I personally believe that when you're face to face with another human in a conference room or even like in a kitchen or getting a happy hour, you you're more you're more engaged. You maybe feel a little more loyal to those people. They're not just a face on a Zoom. And then right. if you have Zoom calls with like 20 people on them, I can promise you 10 of them are double tasking. Every time, maybe yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. So, I would say twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there, there's pros and cons. I personally, you know, would love. Uh, I think a hybrid is great. I think if there's a couple days a week where people come in and that's like, you know, the team meeting day, and you get to have some social time, I think it's actually a good thing. But then, flexibility, you know, for people is also huge. I think a little bit of both is probably the right mix. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like you said, you're kind of a OG of the remote work. Of course, the uh, tools have changed or gotten a little better, yeah. but it's still some of the same issues. Yeah. So as far, I mean, just to go back to that a little bit more is on the burnout side of it, like you said, it's, it is hard to turn it off. And um, what are some things that helped you? Well, I'm a, and I'm, um, I'm very right brained person because of, you know, grad school plus IBM is sort of a, um, a management training factory and they study your brain a lot. So I've, I know mm. how my brain works and I'm very right brained and not naturally super organized. Like that's one of my weaker areas is keeping on one thought and staying focused. And so I micromanage myself. I micromanage my calendar. Like I live and die by my calendar. So mm. I'd say I do a, a pretty good job of blocking time and it sounds super basic, but it's really important. And I'm I'm a morning person, so I, I get a lot done. I wake up early, do reading, listen to podcasts and start working pretty early. 
So I always try to not have meetings when I can. I mean, there's exceptions, board meetings, what have you, but I, I block my times in the morning so I can be super productive and focused. I'll always block time in the middle of the day so I actually remember to eat and I'll block some time. Later. So <laughs> I say it's really just calendar management, managing myself. And then, yeah. you know, then life happens. So I've got a 10 year old daughter and she's got a lot of extracurriculars now. So it's like, sorry, I have to go. I'm really, truly right. taking my daughter to basketball practice now. <laughs> Yeah. That, so. Total. I mean, the, the calendar thing, I'm the same way. And I always say like the day, like my calendar, my online calendar just like blows up for some reason, like Google goes down. It's going to be the, the worst day and the best day. Of <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so it's just like, there's a point, there's a balance. There's so, also calendar uh, management. Just yeah. sorry, this might not be interesting, but just calendar management to me, there's, there's this other like faux pas of like, people don't want to decline meetings. And I skip meetings left and right. If, if there's a huge meeting that I know the topic and I know I don't hate to say I don't care, or I could mm -hmm. send a, a delegate to, I'll do it every time. Like I don't just show yeah. up because I get invited to a meeting. And, if it's, and it's kind of another, another one that drives me nuts is if there's no agenda and it's not clear what this meeting is even about and what the outcome is, I'll ask or I'll skip it. And, and it's amazing yeah. how it ends up working out fine. And if somebody really needs me, they'll slack me or tell me what the damn meeting is about and then i'll go <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about slack i mean is it beneficial for i mean my <laughs> i'm a negative person because i just i work for myself but i've been part of organizations that have yeah. you know slack and i just never really <laughs> g uh adopted it very well so i don't know some, how is it going for you know i love slack kpa you do. I, I love yeah. it and, and my love for slack started at viewpoint and shout out to like, you know, some of the viewpoint crew who did these amazing, really more hilarious things with Slack, where if you put a word into like the marketing Slack channel, it would auto generate these uh, gifts that were just classic. Mm -hmm. like PTO. If someone typed in PTO, these gifts would come up that are like, see ya or like, yeah. don't care <laughs> or like just all these gifts would rotate in and out. So just from a yeah. team building perspective, that's where I started like, going, wow, that's really pretty funny. Um, KPA, yeah. we, we really use it, um, constantly, especially with the pandemic as a communication tool. So the Slack, um, meetings, or I think it's called a Slack call where you just call someone, you know, video call, five minute conversation, look them in the face, have, you know, bust out an important topic and then you're gone. It's so beneficial and so much better, mm. frankly, than booking a 30 to 60 minute meeting, have a quick Slack call when you're both free. Uh, very productive. Yeah. And then also just from a morale perspective, <clears throat> one of the things we've built, which is phenomenal, is like a KPA Windwire Slack channel. The whole company is on it. So it's 300 people. The sales team is sort of trained up that every time they close a deal, it can be a small one. It can be a $4,000 deal. It doesn't have to be a $100,000 deal. They put it in the Slack channel. If a client success person helped them out, they'll call that person out and at them and it's just this like cool. celebratory thing where the whole company is not just a sales thing. It's like the whole company is celebrating both sales and renewals also are put in that channel. It's just good for morale. Everyone's kind of celebrating the success. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I probably just wasn't using it right. <laughs> or I was I was the I was the curmudgeon that decided not to. Yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, buttoned. <laughs> well, Wave is we kind of, you know, a couple last things here. I always like to just ask about Portland. You've been here for a while and, you know, regards to business and just the growth we've had mm -hmm. as far as new startups, companies moving here, talent. Yeah. 
what what's your perspective just on the market as as we move forward and you know good things to come out or potentially you know roadblocks we might have or yeah i mean i'm 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 here for good most likely until someday down you know 20 years from now if i decide to become a snowbird or something so i love portland yeah. i think that um you know if i was starting a company in portland which who knows someday i, I may try to do that um i think that there's a community here around and, and i'm personally i'm you know b2b in tech but i'd say even for other you know obviously retail is very large in portland and other things so i think if you're a a business owner, you can have access to funding, which is often very important. So I personally invest with the Oregon Venture Fund, but there's lots okay. of other outfits in Portland where, you know, they're there's helping pre-revenue to, you know, zero to five million, five to 10 million you, in, and higher. You can find funding to help you really invest and build your business. So tie, elevate. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to list mm-hmm. every investing mm-hmm. outfit mm-hmm. in Portland, but I'd say for a town of our you know size it's, it's a pretty good environment from that perspective so lots of help you yeah. can get as a founder i think the talent pool in my experience at, at least has been the talent pool is, is strong and and it gets stronger because of the classic you know portland <clears throat> joke slash angry comment is you know silicon valley folks think it's cheap here and seattle thinks it's cheap here we're tired of the you know housing market being nuts and going up and all that but the yeah. truth is talent keeps coming to Portland. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think that I think it's a good place to be in business. I think, if anything, it's very competitive right now to get talent. Like mm-hmm. we're, we are hiring. We're actually kind of always hiring. And, you know, you got to make a good offer and you got to get to them fast and, and sell them on yeah. your, your company because there's lots of other things they could do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm still very bullish in Portland. I think the ethos of um, people wanting to connect here because it is a small yeah. You know, community as far as the business uh, side of things, everybody's pretty open. Yeah. Just like you were open to doing this, Abe. So <laughs> I think there, there's a, there's a community yeah. part of it, like you said, for sure. That's really special about it, and uh, I don't see that going away. So, uh, well, yeah. Abe, where can people find? Go ahead. Well, sorry. this this may may or may not you want to put on the podcast, but I would just say that, like, I think I think one of the challenges we have is is really like us coming together to solve the homelessness issues. I mean, that, yeah. that is a cultural issue in our town and a little bit of the kind of right wing, left wing stuff where it is becoming a hindrance, at least in certain, obviously downtown, but more than just yeah. downtown, it's becoming one of those things that maybe is, is getting too much negative national attention. And, and I think all of yeah. us as kind of Portlandians and business leaders need to get involved. And there's lots of good organizations that are, are trying to make a huge difference, but getting involved, um, and trying to help those issues will make a big difference. And educ- you know, I'm a huge education person. I mean, education is everything. I personally donate uh, every year to outfits that are trying to help you know um, people that are either you know low income or even um, there's there's some really I'm forgetting the name unfortunately. There's a really great organization that has a program for homeless children to actually mm. get out of the cycle and get in and get educated. Uh, and that makes that that's not a difference you'll see next year or five years from now. Right. But you talk about building a, a city with talent and, and a talent yeah. that makes a huge long term difference. So that's great. Yeah. And it's a great perspective. And again, I think, you know, we all have the intent that we want to do the, you know, help with the homeless thing mm-hmm. with compassion and empathy. So I think right now, sometimes it's it's 
tough to <laughs> move the ball yeah. forward a little bit because of uh, some, you know, things or disagreements. But yeah. I really, truly believe every business leader I talk to about it, they're, you know, they want to do it with compassion. They yeah. do want to do it and help. So thanks for sharing that, Abe. And um, where, yeah, where can people find more about you and KPA or? Sure. Yeah. I mean, kpa.io, if you're interested in, in checking out what we're doing, new website launched it last year. Cool. New brand Great. launched that last year. So we're excited wow. about the website. If you have tips and tricks, we're always looking to uh, improve websites. So check us out. Um, and then, yeah, personally, just um, look me up on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people. Great talking to you, Dan. And so stay in touch. Thanks so much, Abe. All right. Cool. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.